The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. I, I, asked, I asked Matt, I said, what happens if they don't clap? Um, and he said, he said they will, and, and so you did. So thank you so much. Hey, um, so this is the part where Matt usually stands right about up here and, and yells at you guys how good you look. We're just going to skip that section altogether. And I want to talk about something... Um, two topics that we're going to pull together. So Matt asked me, he says, if you were to preach, what would you want to preach on in marriage? And I said, I said, I want to talk about hide and seek. And I want to talk about counseling. And he goes, can you make that work with marriage? I said, absolutely. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, and so a couple things. I wanted to make two real quick points. And then I want to pray. I'm going to tell you a story. Then we're going to read some scripture. And I'm going to do some application. So two things. Hide and seek. We've all played the game. Some of you have phenomenal memories of that meaning that you remember the wonderful experience of hiding or being found. Some of you remember being left for hours on end in a spot because no one cared anymore. (laughs) Those are the fun memories of hide-and-seek. Some of you also have memories of hide-and-seek, though, that are not so pleasant. It's the space where you were hiding because something bad was looking for you. Um, And so when we talk about hide-and-seek, and and today we're going to talk about this, we're, we're talking about that spectrum of what it's like to hide and what it's like to be sought after. So we're going to talk about that. Second thing I want to make a point on is you are all counselors. Every single one of you in this room is a counselor. And the reason I say that is this is how I define counseling, speaking into other people's lives. It's as simple as that. And if nothing else, you are your own counselor. That is the person you counsel the most. You speak into your own life. And when you speak into your own life, I didn't say we're all good counselors, but you are a counselor. And so today we're going to talk about hide-and-seek, we're going to talk about counseling, and we're going to show a story in the Bible where both those things come together. And from here, we also want to then tie that to marriage to say, how do we do marriage differently, better, well, because of that? Does that make sense? All right. So I'm going to pray real quick. This feels remarkably close. I'm going to move this here, which is unauthorized, but we're going to do it. All right. At the end of the day, God, we need you to show up. I need you to show up. I'm going to be preaching your words. They're not my words. Those in this crowd need to be able to hear you, not me. I pray that you'd bless us in that and that you'd bless our time together here. Amen. I'm going to set my stopwatch here and we're going to go. So a story of hide and seek or a story of being hidden and sought. I want to tell you an example. So my wife and I used to live in Minneapolis. And this is a real quick, I'm going to fly through this and then we're going to stop and I'm just going to pause on this. and You're going to have to keep it for about 20 minutes and we're going to come back to it. My wife and I used to live in Minneapolis, and we used to live in an apartment, and there was a door that you'd open into the, into the apartment complex, and there was a long hallway that led to an elevator at the end. And at that time, my two oldest kids were four and two, and I had just come back from shopping. I had two grocery bags. We opened the door. They raced in to go to the elevator. As you know, in the four and two-year-old crowd, the most important thing in an elevator is what? Who gets to push the buttons? So they raced down the end of the hallway. The door was already open. They raced in. My four-year-old daughter picked up my two-year-old son to help him push the button. They pushed the button. This elevator only went one direction down, one floor down. Simple, whoop, in, down. At this point, though, I am fighting through the door. I see them in. I see them push the button. And then what happens? The door closes. A good dad would have dropped his bags, raced, and leapt and put his arm into it. I literally said to myself out loud, this should be interesting, and didn't even bother to accelerate my move. (laughs) The thing I didn't tell you is next to the elevator is a stairwell. The stairwell is the one that goes down right next to the elevator. So I thought, okay, this elevator is incredibly slow. I'm going to go down the stairs. So I begin to go down the stairs. As I'm going down the stairs, I share a wall with the elevator. 
and I hear my two-year-old son go through what can only be described as the 600 stages of grief in that elevator ride. He is sobbing and weeping uncontrollably as the elevator goes down. I now get to the bottom, and then I hear the door open, and I think, are they going to go back up, or are they going to come out? Do I have to? So then I pause, and I hear the greatest elevator speech of all time. My four-year-old daughter says to my two-year-old son, I don't know where dad is, but hold my hand and let's go find him. And they step out of the elevator, and I come around the corner with my bags, and there is my son, which is only described as dangerously dehydrated from the amount of tears he has shed, <laughs> and my daughter. And I get down, and they both burst into tears and run to me. And I lean down with both my bags and pick them up, and we go back to our apartment. Some of you may remember being lost in a uh, grocery store. It's a similar sort of feeling in this case. So I want to talk to you about the first game of hide-and-seek ever played. Um, it's found in Genesis. I am going to read through quickly, give you the context, and then we're going to get to the hide-and-seek. Okay, you guys ready for that? All right. You're going to see some verses pop up. I can't see my monitor, so if they pop up and they seem on past, that's great. And we're in luck. So, Genesis chapter 1 begins suddenly with a few things. One, God just begins to make stuff. He makes it quickly, and he begins to just rattle it off, and he goes through quickly. And I'm going to read a couple things to you. In the beginning, God made light. That's the first day. And he called it good. The second day, he made the earth and water, and he calls it good. Then he makes plants, and he calls it good. And he makes the sun and the moon, and he calls it good. On the fifth day, God makes fish and sea creatures, and he calls it good. On the sixth day, he makes land animals, and he calls it good. You guys are paying attention. Well done. All right. Each time he calls it good, he blesses it. When God calls something good, how good is it? It's really good. Right? When God calls something good, it is amazingly good. But here's where the narrative slows down. What is all this made for? What is going on? What is God trying to accomplish at this point? And here's what's interesting. We get a chance to see this. He's flying through, and then suddenly he slows down. And here in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we get a picture of what he's driving for. And here it is. It says, let us make man in our image, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. Male and female, he created them. This is different. This is the first time he said he made something in his image. Let's stop for a second. Made in the image of God. We're not like the rest of creation. It's a wonderful thing in many ways. We're image bearers of God. Here's the way I like to think about it. It's as if God took his hand and pressed it into us. And as he pulled it back, we're left with that imprint of who God is. So we are not God, but we are made of body, soul, and mind. That being our body, you can clearly see that. We're spiritual beings. We're also thinking and believing beings. And here's what's different. How many times did God say he made it? When he made all those things, he said it was what? And with man, he says it was what? Very good. That's an upgrade. Do you hear that? Here's our first counseling point. You're made in the image of God. That gives you infinite value. And if you or someone else speaks something different into your life to tell you you are either greater than that, you are God, or you are worthless. Both are lies. And we get to believe the wonderful truth that God made us in his image. Okay, here's another thing that we learn from this. God builds relationship. So here's the first thing that happens. In this chapter, we see that God builds relationship with himself. And God teaches man how to do relationship with him, how to be cared for, how to enjoy God, how to love him. And that is an amazing situation that happens. And God teaches how to do relationship with him. 
He also teaches how to do relationship with creation. He calls us caretakers. He asks us to care for all that he has, to enjoy all that he's made. And we build that relationship. But here's something else. At this point, Adam recognizes something. He, and he turns to God and he says, God, I've got a question for you. I feel like I'm made, I, there's something not quite finished here. I understand relationship with you. I understand relationship with creation. I'm missing a relationship. I feel like I'm made for something and, I, and I, none of this quite fits it. And here's the wonderful thing. God says, yeah, you're right. I'm not done. We're going to make one more thing. Um, but also look at Adam. Where did he go when he felt this in his heart? He went to God. And he expressed that honestly. Something's off. I feel like there's something off. I'm made for something more. Can you? What is this? Let's fix this. So here's what happens. God makes Eve and he brings them together. So now we have relationship with God, relationship with creation, and marital relationship, which will extend over time to personal relationships with the people we have around us. And here is Adam's response to this. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. He recognizes quickly, this is a part of me. There's a oneness that he is expressing here. I'm going to translate this to 21st century. Here's what happens. Adam, when he sees Adam being, when Adam, when he sees Eve being brought to her, pretty much says, whoa, this is what I'm talking about. And deep down in his heart, that lack that he missed, that he felt before, is suddenly satisfied. We are called to oneness. And here's the interesting thing, is they were naked and they weren't ashamed. And that's even fascinating. That's a concept today that we would just be like, I don't understand that. I just, that's just weird. But at the end of the day, the concept of nakedness is openness. It's about unity. It's about not being shame-filled. It's recognizing that we are built for a shameless life. We were created that way. Do you guys understand that? Okay. Here's what else happens in this section. Got to keep an eye on this time. Hold on one second. Stupid phone lock. There we go. But God describes something else here in a second. He describes the relational blessings that he has for them, but he also describes a danger. And I'm going to read from Genesis 2.16, and I want you to hear this section really well. God commanded the man saying, from every tree of the garden you shall eat freely. Pause. God's saying, I've taken care of you. Look at everything around you. It is yours to be used and blessed. My relationship with you is to be used and blessed. Your relationship with your wife or your husband and those around should be used for blessing. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God points to one tree and says, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat it, you will, what's it say? You will surely die. Here God is saying a few things. Adam and Eve, you have all that you need. Literally everything that you need, all goodness, all relationships, all friendship, all happiness, all joy, all comfort is already provided for you. Don't go searching for more. You don't need more. You haven't been created that way. There's only hurt and pain and death outside of me. Do you see that? Literally the, the, the word and that last word is dying, you will die. It's not even going to be a, eat it, you're zapped, you're dead. Dying, you will die. You will bring death in and you will experience the concept of what it is to die. And you will experience death around you. Don't go there. And the story slows. If you're reading through Genesis 1 and 2, it gets slow. And this is if it was a film, which I have never made a film in my life, and I will never make a film because I am terrible at it. 
This is where the music would change to those dissonant chords. And here's what happens. Satan enters the story and he begins a diabolical dialogue or counsel with Adam and Eve. So here comes a counselor. He's speaking into Adam and Eve's life and he asks a question that he knew the answer to and that everybody knew the answer to. And he says, are you supposed to eat it? Are you not supposed to eat of this tree over here? Are you not supposed to eat of it? And here's what happened. Adam and Eve said, yeah, we're not supposed to eat of it. And here's what he said. You won't die. What is that called? When you tell something that's not truthful, what's it called? A lie. He asked a question to get them provoking, thinking about, let's consider the subject over here of this tree. And then he flat out said, you won't die. He gave them a chance. He's counseling them here in the opposite of what God has said. He said, you will not die. God is holding something from you. I wonder what he's holding back. You think you have everything? What about this? There's one thing he's holding back. What do you think he's holding back from you? Don't you want it? Wouldn't you be interested to see what it is? Wouldn't you want to be the one that decides what you bring into your life? Do you want to be in charge? Adam and Eve, guess what? God may not be good. He's holding something back from you. Do you see the counsel? Is it good counsel? No. Do you want to set your own path? You can define truth. You can redefine what good is. And here's the tragedy. Adam and Eve chose to eat and disobey God. And here's the worst part. I wrote it down in my notes this way. All hell breaks loose. Imagine that day. I just, I, I can't even think. Their own relationship is destroyed. Their relationship with creation is destroyed. New things, new feelings, shame, anger, hurt, fear come flooding in. You were all used to those feelings. But for the first time, these things come crashing in. Our motivations, we talked about body, we talked about soul, we talked about mind. The choices we wanted to make suddenly begin twisted. Instead of wanting what God wants, Adam and Eve suddenly begin to put themselves in the center. And that shifts and twists the way that they think about themselves. It's the twists the way that they think about creation. It twists the way that they do marriage together. But worse of all, it damages the relationship with God. The very one who made them, who placed them in there, who placed his hand and imprinted an image of himself on, was suddenly broken. This is tragic. I also wonder what their guilt was like. The very thing that, Adam, or the very thing that Satan said was, you will not die. Do you think that suddenly comes into their mind? What is going to happen to me? And here, Genesis 3, verse 8, lays out something that has never happened before. And this is where we get to the game of hide and seek. You ready for it? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. First time ever. Their relationship, they heard him. Did they see him? They just heard him. They just even heard God, and their reaction was, we don't want any part of this. We are leaving. We are hiding. We don't want to see him again. And they hid themselves in the trees of the garden. I think it's even ironic that the very thing that God made the trees of the garden they use, right, against God. Here they are. God made a tree for my, well, I'm going to use it now to hide myself from who God is. 
And they hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. They didn't even want to be near. They didn't want to be seen. They did not want to be found. Can you see that? God was near and they fled. They didn't want to be seen or known. So here's what happens. Let me ask you this. This is a dramatic moment in the tale. What is going to happen next? I feel in one sense like all creation, certainly Adam and Eve were holding their breath. What is God going to do? And here's what I love. This is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Here it is. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God asks a question. Do you hear that? Did you expect a question? I didn't. I expected a statement. But he doesn't. He asks a question. Why does God ask a question? Here's a couple thoughts. Has God truly lost him? Has God lost where Adam and Eve are? In that iPhone find thing, has he been like, oh no, I, it was right here, and then, and then they were gone. And that, that little collar I had on each one of them to track them, I don't, they've just disappeared. Now, oh, good, I've lost? Where, where are you? Can't find you. No. God knows. He built all, made all this. He knows exactly where they are. So let me ask you this. He asked the question because he is seeking them. Do you see that? His creation was hurting, and he was pursuing them. Where are you? He recognized the hurt. It's also relational. Do you see the relational part of this? He's not just saying physically, where are you, so I can come and get you. He's also saying, where are we? We used to be close. We used to have relationship. We used to find joy. You used to find joy in me. Where are we? Adam and Eve, you've never fled before. You've never hid. Our relationship is now broken. Where are you? Where are we? What has happened here? But it's also a question. And he is looking for a response. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that he wants Adam and Eve to respond to. And so here's what's interesting. We get a chance to hear the responses. First, Adam says, a wonderful husband thing to do. He says, God, it was that woman. <laughs> that woman that you made me caused this problem. I have to tell you, the ride home must have been pretty awkward even after that moment. <laughs> the very thing that just a chapter before he said, wow, this is what I'm talking about. This answers the need of my heart. You built me for a relationship. He says, God, I want to redo. This is defective. Do you see what it did? We were, I was doing great by myself, and then this lady comes along and ruins everything. God doesn't even address Adam's ridiculous response. He turns to Eve and he says, what's going on? You know what Eve says? wasn't me. It was Satan. He, she tricked me. I'm a victim here. I was just walking through, and then suddenly there was a fruit, and, I just, and, then I, and I don't even know what happened. It's, I'm, I'm a victim. Do you sense this? Do we recognize these responses? Not my fault. It's their fault. Or, I was just, I'm a victim. I wasn't even, I was trying not to sin, and then I just did. That's a victim. 
So here's what I think is also happening. And I like to think about it this way. Imagine Adam and Eve lined up and Satan is there as well. And Satan, God turns to Satan and he does something. And I, and I think when you hear those words that God calls things good and God calls things blessed, he turns to them and he says something amazing here. It says, he, says to, he says to Satan, he says, Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. When God curses something, how bad is that? It's really bad. Here's the way I like to think about it. When he curses, he's saying, you and I are done forever. The one way to think about it is when God talks about hell and damnation, he's saying, Satan, you're done. You're damned to hell. Our relationship, there is none. I will be your enemy forever. You are done. And he says something, and we know this from scripture, but he says, Dust you will eat all the days of your life. And we know this from parts of Hebrew. Dust is a symbolism for death. He goes, you're going to eat death. You're going to be the one. You wanted death. You said there wasn't going to be death. Now death is going to be the thing you eat. And you will never be satisfied. And you will never get full of it. And it will just be the thing that you own. God curses. And here's what happens. He then turns to Adam and Eve. And you can imagine... God's, oh, God's bringing out the curses. I knew it was coming. Here it comes. And he turns to Adam and Eve and he says, cursed is the, and if I'm Adam, I'm wincing. I'm like, here it comes. God says, cursed is the ground because of you. And if I was Adam, I would go, wait, I think you missed. Like you, you, you cursed, was it like you went to curse me and you're like, your hand went, whoa, cursed the ground. Oh, that was a miss. You know, he said, God says, I'm cursing the ground because of you. And Adam and Eve, I don't understand what, what happened. I thought I was going to get cursed. And he doesn't. He curses the ground. He describes how their lives will be hard. He describes that they will work hard both in their employment and in the raising of children. And he says, and that won't be your salvation. It will not. You will work hard and it will not save you. But here's the amazing promise. Because this is all very dramatic, but I want you to think about this for a second. This is also where he brings the gospel in. And I want you to read it this way. In Genesis 3.15, he tells of the solution to all of this. He talks about someone. He says, someday, someone is coming. And that person that's coming will fix this. And here's how he puts it. Genesis 3.15. He will bruise your head. This is Jesus now. And you will bruise him on the heel. And he's talking to Satan at this point. And he says, Satan, you know that? You know that conflict we have now? Someday my son is coming. I am coming as man. And I will fix this. And I will crush you. And to Adam and Eve, they're hearing hope and promise now. You weren't cursed, Adam and Eve. You weren't. But someday, Adam and Eve, a savior is coming. And he will fix this. And your hope and your restoration and the pain and the hurt will be resolved and solved in this. In Galatians 3.13, it gets even more specific in the Old Testament. It says, Christ redeemed us. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been the curse for us. Do you see that? God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. And he says, yes, I told you death was coming. But I will not. I will, in fact, curse my son. And he will bear that on the cross. Do you see that? There's the first game of hide-and-seek. It's not that fun one, is it? It's fairly dramatic. There's a lot of hurt involved in that. So I want to talk through a couple things here real quick. Because as we think about counseling, 
Do you see counseling in here? And I want to kind of turn this, and I want to help us think about how we do this well. First things, truths, I want to kind of say seven truths. And I think it's important to note these. One, things are very broken. Do I have to convince you of that? No. You guys know that, but things are very broken. And here's the other thing. God told the truth, didn't he? He said, Adam and Eve, if you sin, it'll hurt. And so in reality, the hurt that we feel from our sin and the sins of others is actually a reminder that God tells the truth. See that? So if God tells other truths about grace, about forgiveness, about a son, Christ who's coming, can you believe that? Yes, we can. We can believe that. Our relationship with God and each other have been broken. Our tendency is to blame, shift, and hide. God calls to us and seeks relationship. Do you see that? Where are you? Have you thought about that? That God is seeking relationship with you? I love that fact. We're irresponsible to respond to the call. And here's what's interesting. I think about this, and, I, and I, in the game of hide and seek in this case, I, in our lives, I think at times when, we are, when, we're, when we're hiding, I think there's a part of us that, like Adam and Eve, never wants to be found. But there's also part of us that just as much fears never being found. And I think knowing that we have a God that says, I pursue you, I want you, where are you? Resonates in our hearts that says, what if, I'm, what if I'm never found? What if I hide? What if I keep hiding these things in my life? The reality is, we also wonder, what happens if I'm found? What happens if I'm found by a God who loves and cares? And that calls us to himself. Here's the other thing. Jesus is the Savior that heals and restores us. At the very beginning, in the very first counseling session ever on the planet, God, at the very core of it, says, my Savior is the answer to this hurt and problem. Yes, we'll have lots of conversations. And if you read from Genesis all the way up to the gospel when Jesus comes, you read about all these tragic, hard, challenging things throughout Scripture. And the whole time, God keeps saying, someday, my Savior, my my." My Christ is coming. Jesus is coming. He will save this. And he continually reminds all of creation that he's coming and that he will solve this. And he puts it at the center of this first conversation and he certainly puts the center of it throughout. So, I have five applications. You guys ready for them? All right. First one. If you are hiding, hear the call of relationship restored and walk toward the light. It's simple. It's also very hard. It's really hard to come out of it. John 8, 12 says this. Then God again spoke to them saying, this is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but I, I will have the light of life. Again, God comes as Jesus and says the same thing he said here. Where are you? Come to me. I'm calling you to myself. Here's the other part. If you're not sure how to walk, hear, or move, sometimes it's hard. Find others who know God and ask for help. Remember what I said? You are all what? Counselors. Counsel around you. If you are not sure what to do, seek someone who loves God and can point you faithfully there. One of the hardest questions is, what will happen to me? Can I give you the illustration up here? When they came out, they thought they were doomed. Were they doomed? No. So I can tell you the same God that did not 
punished Adam and Eve, but called them to himself and restored and loved them. It's the same God that calls us out of hiding. Here's the second point. If you're walking in the light, be loud. Here's what I mean by this. You are all counselors. If you've seen God faithful, if you've seen him good, if you've seen him kind, if you've seen him just, be loud about that. Those in the dark need to hear it. They need to hear the light and they need to be able to have that. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 4, 4 says this, The Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we're able to comfort those who are also in affliction with comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I think he says comforted like 19 times in there. But here's the point. If we have found God to be true and that has been the comfort of our lives, go and comfort others. One of the most interesting things about being trained for years in, in biblical counseling was there are so many other people that are capable of pointing people faithfully to Christ. And so you're all counselors. You want to be good counselors. And you want to be gospel-centered. Here's the other part. And this I'm going to apply to marriage here for a second. Counsel others knowing that they're broken. Sin hurts. Point them to Christ. If you are in a relationship, if you're married, your spouse will hurt you. I promise you that. And here's where we, as we discussed last time, can serve by pointing them faithfully to heaven. We're walking together to the cross. You remember that story about the elevator? Sometimes we're all in that elevator, right? Hold my hand. Let's go find and so I want you to think about this in, your, in marriage. We often get quickly bent out of shape over the fact that someone hurt us and that we hurt them back. And yet God says we're called to breathe grace to each other, not punishment. God didn't curse Adam and Eve. He responded by giving them grace. We can imitate that and we can give grace, not our own grace, but God's grace. Be imitators of Christ. Give grace, not curses. That can be hard to do. Sometimes our marriages get tense, and we've done a really nice job over a year, a month, a decade of punching and hurting and building walls and understanding exactly what it's like. Adam and Eve, when they sin, their relationship was torn around. We understand that. We can tell you the wall-building techniques that will keep you safe from your spouse hurting you ever again, and we can write books on that, and none of that matters because that's not what God calls us to do. We're called to breathe grace into each other's life. I've described to some of you at times, this is not my wife who I'm describing here, somebody else. I said it's like walking a porcupine to heaven. Not my wife. I said every time I get close and I'm like, hey, let's walk. Ow! You get a quill stuck in you and you have to pull it out and you just want to smack the porcupine. But you just say, can I help you walk? Yeah, that hurts a lot. But my healing is not coming from that person. When I look for my healing to come from my spouse, when I look for my healing to come from my relationships, I will be disappointed. We make bad saviors. We make terrible saviors. And when you look to your spouse or your relationship and you say, I am offering you to be my savior, you will be disappointed. 
God makes a good savior. So we take our hurt that comes from our relationships with each other and we take our, our brokenness and we both go to the cross where we can get healing. It would be wrong and foolish for me to say, my wife, you hurt me. Now I want you to save me from the hurt that you just caused me. She never can. She never will. Here's my fourth point. Believe God's truths and reject lies. Learn to counsel truth to yourself and others. God's word is filled with truth. Seek it. And here's what's interesting. Some of us are new at being, understanding who God is. Here's my thing. Learn it. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean you are still not counseling yourself. Learn what God calls true and pursue that. You will have to reject your own versions of truth you've come up with. You will. You will encounter it. I wanted this to be true. It's not. And can I talk about something a little more sensitive? Can I talk about feelings? We sometimes substitute truth for my feelings. Sometimes, and I love this, when God's truth aligns with my feelings, isn't that great? There's also times where God's truth does not align with my feelings. I don't feel like serving my wife. I don't feel like being patient. Now, will I accept this as the truth? Or will I accept God's truth and push this to the side and say, I'm pursuing this truth and I'm, excuse me, I'm praying that my feelings will ultimately follow. Do you feel that? In the garden, Satan offered different truth, and it hurt. Have courage. You have a God that seeks you. Pursue truth. If you don't know where to start, if you don't know what God says, ask the people around you. We have a room full of counselors. Ask them, how have you grown? What have you done? How do I pursue truth in this? If you can read, read books. There's amazing books out there. Not sure what to read? Ask someone. I don't recommend going to the library and just running down the self-help guide. Please don't do that. You'll find yourself very confused. But seek truth. And last but not least, let me check the time here. I'm going to nail this, aren't I? <laughs> 3148, do you see that? Wow. It's on fire. Make your counsel... Cross, Jesus, and grace-centered. We need heart change the most. We don't need new techniques. I've counseled people where they're hiding, and I say, you're ready to be done? And they go, oh, I hurt so much. There's this issue, and I hurt, and I hurt. I said, are you ready to walk toward Christ? You know what sometimes the answer is? No. I just, my friend told me this new thing I'm going to try. And I go, listen, I'm not going to, you're inviting, I'm not going to go into the hiding with you. you I'm going to be out here. I'm here when you're ready, but don't stay in there. And some of these friends have gone years, and they come back around, and at the, end of the, at the end of two, three, four years, they come back, and they say, I'm even hurting even more. And I said, I know. That's what sin does. God said sin hurts. Of course it hurts. What you need is heart change. Are you ready for heart change? And sometimes the answer is still no. And I have friends that never made it back around the loop. Sometimes I have married couples and I say, you guys ready to follow what God says marriage ought to be? You know what sometimes the answer is? No. You know sometimes the other answer is? One of them says yes, the other says no. That's the hardest one. You know what the best answer is? And they both say yes. 
I can tell you in our marriage, I've been the one that says no sometimes. My wife will say yes, and she still loves me. She puts grace into me. She says, that's a, you're hurting. Whatever you're holding on to in that hiding is hurt. I will pour grace because that's what you need. You need heart change. She doesn't provide heart change. I don't provide heart change. God provides heart change. So, I'm done. We... <laughs> Is that an encore? I got 30 more minutes so I can come up with something. <laughs> so, so hide and seek. Can I just give 30 seconds to something? And I want to be really gentle here because I know this is the case. And I want to be gentle because I want to be really fair with this. Some of you are not hiding on your own. So what I mean by that is some of you have been hurt and it feels like you are hidden. Others have hurt you. And I want to show you, even briefly, that the same thing applies. God seeks you. And we can take that hurt, and we can come to him. Not as someone who is maybe actively choosing to sin, but has been hurt by others. And I want to be gentle with that, because I don't want people to walk away saying, ah, I'm feeling, and I feel like I'm hidden. God can't find me because of my own sin. And sometimes that is the case. But sometimes it's because of others, what they have done to you. And I want you to know that because the same thing applies. You have a God that pursues you. And I want to be gentle with that piece because it's, that group of people is sometimes particularly hurting. And I didn't want you walking away saying, he said it was my sin. In some cases, it's not. We're excellent sinners. It, we can do a phenomenal job of it on our own, hiding and sinning. But sometimes you are, in fact, feeling like you're being hidden by what someone else has done to you. And God still pursues Okay, we're going to pray. God, I'm amazed that you asked a question. And you asked, where are you? You're a God who pursues. You are a God who loves us. You are a God who does not want us to believe lies. And you provided your Savior that we can do life different that we don't have to hide, and that we can do marriage radically differently. I pray that you'd bless those in this room with a heart that understands that you pursue them and that they would live that out. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what we want to do here, um, Josh and Megan's wife, I mean, uh, Megan's wife, Josh's wife is going to come up, and we're just going to do just a real brief interview real quick in the couple minutes we have remaining. Why don't you guys you get over there by your wife? And uh, So uh, we've got this marriage class that we have. We have, we have uh, we've noticed as we've grown as a church that, that the request for... Uh, help and counseling have grown. And uh, so we've provided sort of an avenue for how we can begin uh, to think together. So we want to interview these guys real quick, and then we're going to be done. But we want to tell you a little bit about what's going on. But first of all, Josh and Megan, if you guys could just tell us a little bit about yourselves, your background, and uh, yeah. You go first. I've been talking for 35 minutes. Is it on? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, a little bit about ourselves. So we've been married 15-ish years. Uh, 15 in May. <laughs> we lose count because 
he'll start to say about halfway through the year, oh, it's almost whatever the next number is. So then my mom brain gets confused and I forget how long we've been married. So yeah, a fun fact about us in our marriage is that if you ever read a marriage book and you have the section that like talks to men, here's men's, you know, whatever, here's women's, whatever, we are almost always the opposite. So we just kind of switch, we read what's meant for women and meant for men, and then we've got our own, like, yeah, this is my problem, this is his problem, here we go. Why don't so. you talk to me? Hold my hand! <laughs> and I have a little bit of a pride issue. So, we're the opposite of most marriages, which is kind of funny. Um, we've lived in a bunch of different states, I don't know, what yeah, else? Four kids? Four kids, plus go. one at the moment. They're foster parents, and so yeah. they just took on a... <laughs> How old is the baby? He's uh, almost six weeks. Almost six weeks old. So yeah. they've got a lot of other stuff going on in life right now. And so they were like, let's see how crazy we can really get this. Yeah, and pretty so, much. <laughs> so the, these guys are an amazing couple. Tell us a little bit about the class and uh, just give, give us some basic info. Yeah, so the class is um, purposely seven sessions long. And I'm not going to remember every one. But the, the goal is to take seven topics that traditionally are either trouble spots or places that we know things hurt or things are hard, or people want to grow in. And they, so we're, we're going to talk about just what is marriage according to the Bible, just line up that. We're going to talk about formation, which is another way to say how does God design us for the roles within there. We're going to talk about um, sex. We're going to talk about communication, communication repentance, and forgiveness. That's, I'm doing good. Um, and then we're going to talk about oneness. How yeah, do you pursue maybe. oneness coming out? The other piece of it is, is that we're going to do about 30 minutes of teaching and then 30 minutes of interaction, um, and you will get homework. You will get homework. So with that, I mean, so if there's couples here that are like, hey, I, we, this would be good for us. What should I expect from this seven weeks? Do you have any thoughts? I'm not sure where to start. If you start, then I'll know where to go. Got it. <laughs> I think you should assume that coming every time is good. It's difficult to skip. I think you should assume that during the week you will have stuff to do. Um, you will be working at your marriage. It's not enough to have somebody come and talk for 30 minutes. You will work at it. And so that'll be part of it. I think the other piece is it'll be confidential. I think you should recognize that we have people in there sharing things that are hard and that they will not leave the room. So, And I, I've been with Josh in uh, some counseling situations and there is homework and uh, he expects you to do it. And so uh, I think that's part of the expectation. When you come for seven weeks, it's going to be intense, but it's going to be good for you. I think we should also say, Josh and Megan, that it's going to be on Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, we provided an outlet. It's not during the week. We want to provide an outlet. It's on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. It starts August the 13th, okay? So if you have kids, we've provided an avenue for that as well. Uh, you just need to let us know on the sign-up sheet out here in just a moment. Okay, last thing. Who should come? Who should not come? Mayor? Um, if you're married, you should come. If you're not married, you should not. Engagement, unfortunately, this time around does not count. So we love engaged couples. Our favorite thing to do counseling is premarital counseling because it's just lots of fun. There's not a lot of typically angst, hurt, whatever yet. And so we love it trying to help prevent that. Um, they still happening. have the halo in the wings. <laughs> you still have the halo in wings. Still. Right. right. No conflict yet. It's so beautiful. It's ideal. <laughs> The other thing I would say is if you were dragging an unwilling spouse, yeah. probably not a good idea. Doesn't mean you can't have reservations, but dragging. And if you're also coming for one of us to be a referee in your marriage, challenge not accepted, we're not interested. That's not what it's about. And because there's only five spots, if you know like you're gonna be gone for three of the seven weeks, we just ask you to wait 
Um, we're thinking there may be another round at some point in the future. Just wait for the next round. Because there's only five spots available, if you already know ahead of time you won't be able to make most of them, just pause and wait and allow for somebody else who assumes they'll be here every week. We get, we get sick kids, we get you know you getting sick, whatever, but because of the limited space, just thoughtful in that sense. Awesome. You're like, I'm single. I'm engaged. What's for me? Well, uh, we want to help you. We want to support you. The reason why we're hosting this, one, is because Megan and Josh are incredible at this. Uh, Megan and Josh have been through years of training and counseling. Phenomenal. I can personally testify. It's amazing. Secondly, the reason why we're hosting a marriage class is because we're responding to needs in our church. People have raised their hand and said, hey, can you help? Can you help me? And the bandwidth is, is a little bit low right now, so we're providing an outlet for us to meet the needs where people are raising their hand. So if you're single, you're in Engaged. If you're looking for premarital counseling, we do offer that. And uh, when those needs arise, we will respond to that as well. Now, last thing, and then we're going to sing a song. We'll be done. Um, if you're interested in this class, starts August 13th, 9 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings right here. We'll have child care. Um, you, you Josh and Megan are going to be at the Connect Table afterwards. You can go out there. There's just a simple sheet you can sign up. I, I don't think I put on the sheet if you have kids and how many you do. But on the right of that sheet, please put how many kids you have so that we know what to expect for, um, for childcare. All right. Hey, thank these guys. Uh, they're amazing, and they're amazing to our church.